Hello and welcome to Prosecco Party Podcast. My name is Isabel, engineer by day and podcaster by night. And I'm Lindy, serial entrepreneur and health enthusiast. And today we are talking all about the face with Dr. Christina Zachary, MD, MSC, and FRCSC. That's a mouthful. Dr. Zachary is an otolaryngology head and neck surgeon with a special practice focus on facial plastic and reconstructive surgery. She's an expert in rhinoplasty, facelift, eyelid, ear work, forehead, brow lift, and non-surgical procedures including fillers, Botox, anti-aging, acne treatments, and skin care. Sounds like my dream person to know. As a medical school graduate graduate of McGill University with a master's and postgraduate fellowships in facial plastic and reconstructive surgery from McGill and the University of Toronto, she's now an associate staff member of the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Calgary, the Calgary Health Region, and has surgical privileges in all of the hospitals in Calgary. She also owns her own practice in downtown Calgary, where she combines unique skills of both a specialized facial surgeon and an artist to improve the health and confidence of her patients. Welcome to the show, Dr. Zachary. Thank you for having me. We are so excited to have you on your show. We have lots of questions from our audience. Bring it on. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited. Our first doctor. I have so many questions for you. <laughs> all right, I have all the answers, I hope. I think we have the perfect demographic for you too, Dr. Zachary. We oh, are well yeah. in our 30s. We're starting to wrinkle up. Our moms and aunts watch the show, so we got a lot of facelifts. <laughs> I have questions for you too. But before we get into the nitty-gritty details with Dr. Zachary, we know we like to have a little girl talk over some drinks, well, virtual drinks this time, I guess. <laughs> I have got my tea here. Got my water. Cheers, ladies. <laughs> Good for the skin. So on Yeah, Oh, yeah, see? <laughs> so, Lindy, what's new with you? Well, I'm excited. I get to open up the spa next week. So I've been rescheduling appointments and just the phone has been literally going off the hook. Everyone's so excited to get their fat frozen for summer, even though it takes three months. But yeah, just been super busy with that. And the course I'm taking on Forex, pretty much just kind of being a homebody. I think that's what you're doing as well over there, Isabel. <laughs> oh yeah, there's nothing much new with me being a new mom and still on maternity leave, just baby developments and oh, my baby is three months old today, so we took a little portrait, yeah, we're so excited for her, she's making a lot of sounds, she's laughing, she's giving us a lot of attitude, her eyebrows are, you know, making a lot of expressions here and there, so she's getting really, really cute. But yeah, nothing other than that, nothing new with me. What's new with you, Dr. Zachary? Um, pretty much the same like Lindy. We, we just got noticed that we're allowed to open as of June 12th, which is this Friday. And so um, while other, maybe other, I don't know what other doctors have been doing during this lockdown, but I have been preparing the office ever since we locked down. I've been preparing the office for the reopen. Um, I've been purchasing all sorts of like new equipment to keep the air sterile. So I bought this air sterilizer from um, Surgically Clean Air. 
So we've gotten some in every room, every single one of our procedure rooms. I've gotten stocked up on PPEs, personal protective uh, equipment for the staff and for myself. We've put plexiglass barriers and we've moved all of the consent forms to uh, digital format so that we don't we're not handling papers and pens and things like that so everything is digital and I even wrote the protocol for reopening your practice that I sent to the college to use as a resource for other surgeons Wow you have been keeping busy very busy and then on top of that I'm a mummy of twins so I've been trying to play with them and trying to homeschool which is very difficult how <laughs> so, old are they better surgeon than I'm a, a teacher. Um, they're four and uh, I've got one of each, a girl and a boy, and they're so funny. They're like four years old. Wait till you get to four years old, Isabel. They're so funny and they have personalities and they interact with you and they're so cute. So I've been busy with that too, which has been amazing. And so it's been one of the, the hidden, hidden um, blessings of the lockdown. That's so nice. Lindy, that's your dream. <laughs> Twins, one girl, one boy. I know, that would be so awesome. Just be pregnant once and then you're all done. Were you so excited to learn you were having twins? I was so excited. I was uh, over the moon. And um, but my husband, when he found out, because he only found out at the first ultrasound, and when he found out, his face just went <laughs> white. <laughs> he just turned white as a ghost, the poor guy. But now he's in love with the twins, obviously. But he wasn't prepared. That sounds great. So before we get into the interview, we have some sponsors to shout out here. First is JetRail Real Estate, your Calgary real estate agent. Buying or selling your home? Thinking about investing in real estate? Visit JetRail.com to get in touch with Jet. That's J-E-T-T-R-A-O.com. Get a free home evaluation and check out his videos to help you buy your first home. Check out JetRail.com for details. And the Skinny Spa here in Calgary offers non-invasive fat loss solutions, including fat freezing and lipo laser, with prices starting from just $1.99. It's easier than ever to get that summer bod of your dreams. Book today at theskinnyspa.ca. But enough about us. We are here to talk to Dr. Christina Zachary. Hey! <laughs> so, Dr. Zachary, where did you grow up, and what made you decide on a career in medicine? Oh, those are easy questions. Um, where did I grow up? I am an international baby. My parents were um, engineers, and they still are. They're, my parents are engineers. <laughs> yeah, well, well, shout out to engineers. I think they were a little disappointed that I didn't go into engineering because my whole family's engineers. <laughs> Oh but, no, um, they got a doctor and prestigious <laughs> oh, yeah. medical surgeon instead. Oh dear. So we traveled, they, we traveled everywhere because they get, they kept getting, you know, posted jobs all over the world. So I lived in Nigeria, Saudi Arabia, Ghana, West Africa, and then finally we settled back in uh, Montreal, Canada. Yay. Uh, and then I grew up in Montreal from then on. Um, from high school onwards, uh, did my um, all my training at McGill, and then I moved to Toronto and then to here. What made me want to become a doctor? I think that it was a very early decision. Uh, my pa my parents were very they're very um, education focused, and so I was always expected to have some sort of university degree. That was that was a no brainer. And on one of the trips, we were in Thailand, and I saw this poor beggar on the street, and I started crying, and my mom said, why are you crying? And she said, and then I said, because I want to help this guy. And then she said, well, you have to become a doctor to help him. 
<laughs> so she kind of like sort of seeded that in my mind. She said, well, he's sick, so you have to become a doctor so you can help him. And then, so ever since then, I just, that was my goal. I had a passion for it and I just went for it. Wow, that's awesome. I'm going to say that all the time to my kids. <laughs> yeah, it works. Like early conditioning works. Yeah, clearly. That's yeah. a story. What a cool way to <laughs> seed that, plant that in your child's brain. Obviously, it worked. Um, yes. <laughs> okay, when choosing a plastic surgeon, what should we be asking and looking for? For example, should we look for someone that's board certified or what does that even mean? Okay, so in uh, Canada, we don't have the board. So there's no such thing as board certified in Canada. So instead we have the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons. Um, and so you wanna look for somebody who's certified with the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons in the, in the specialty that you wanna address. So for example, if you want face surgery, so like rhinoplasty, facelifts, nose jobs, anything like that, um, it's important to find somebody who is skilled, trained, and has the expertise in that particular surgery, who does that surgery all the time. So birth certification or Royal College certification isn't the end-all be-all. It designates that they've been trained and studied that, but you also have to see what their experience is, like how many of that particular surgery do they do. Um, look at their before and after. So it's a very important to have a consultation with that surgeon and see a lot of befores and afters of the particular surgery that you're interested in. Um, because there are plastic surgeons who do a lot of like body work that don't do a lot of nose jobs. So you just need to know what do they do? How often do they do them? Like how many per month do you do of this particular surgery? And ask to see a lot of before and after uh, pictures. And um, certainly board certification is important, but it's not the end all be all. I'm um, American board certified in facial plastic and reconstructive surgery. But like I said, it's not the end all be all. You really want to see the skill and expertise of the surgeon. So it's better to go with somebody who is an expert, for example, like you, a facial expert. Yeah, exactly. um, so I wouldn't be going to you for a boob job or anything. Exactly. So I don't do any boobs. I don't do any tummy tucks. So that wouldn't be the right surgeon for you if that's what you wanted. But like if you were wanting like a nose job or, you know, a facelift or something like that, uh, then, you know, then maybe that would be a better route because, um, because that's the type of surgeon who would do that surgery all the time. So if I wanted a procedure done, for example, a nose job, what should I be bringing for the consultation? Should it be a photo of a celebrity whose nose that I want, or maybe a selfie of myself face tuned to the nose that I want? That's a very good question. And what people have been bringing has changed over the years. So at the beginning, um, of my practice in 2005, I was seeing a lot of celebrity photos and pictures from magazines or from the internet of celebrities and, you know, Angelina Jolie knows or Jennifer Aniston knows, things like that. Um, and then slowly, slowly, because of the, ad, you know, the um, popularity of Instagram and Snapchat and filters on those apps, people have been bringing in pictures of themselves, but sort of photoshopped on apps. So, um, really what you need to come with is a clear idea of what you want to change. So you don't have to bring any props or pictures or anything like that, just an idea of what you want to change. So for example, if you wanted to um, take down the dorsal hump, a bump here, or if you wanted to straighten the nose, or if you wanted to um, make the tip smaller, like you just have to have a clear knowledge of what you want to change because it's not appropriate for the surgeon to tell you what they think you should change because 
aesthetic sense is different than your aesthetic sense. So what they think is pretty is different than what you think is pretty. But if you come with a clear understanding of what you want and certainly bringing inspiration photos of pictures from the internet, pictures from magazines, even, even um, Photoshopped images of your own self, you can bring those as inspiration and then the surgeon will tell you if those are you know, um, appropriate, realistic or not. So doctor, speaking about social media, has it, do you think, affected your practice with facial, facial surgeries uh, in general? Like, are you busier now that people are taking all these selfies and they see all their favorite people on social media and they want to look like them? Yeah. So yes, the answer, the short answer is yes. Um, it's definitely become much less taboo to do cosmetic surgery and to get, you know, injectables like Botox and fillers and things like that. It's become much more acceptable because of, you know, people sharing their experiences online uh, and they share the good, the bad, the positives and the negatives. And they um, also are looking at themselves a lot more, you know, because of smartphones, you can take selfies all the time and see your image multiple times a day compared to when I was growing up, we had those, you know, those Polaroids. <laughs> yeah. Or like those cameras with the film in them and you can go get one hour developing. So like you really didn't see your image that many times a day, you know, you had to wait, you know, until the thing got like developed and then you could, you know, and so it was like much less accessible to see yourself. And now you see yourself so many times a day and you can like, focus on all your perceived flaws and all the things that you want to change. So it's a lot more in demand to, to improve on your appearance. And the other thing is it's much more um, accessible. There are so many surgeons that you can find on, on the internet. You can find them on Instagram and Snapchat and even TikTok now. And so it's a lot more accessible. So not only is it less taboo and more accepted, but it's also more accessible and that makes it much more busy. Um, and then there are certain things with the smartphones that make things look distorted. So a lot of people are coming in saying, you know, I have a big nose and it's because the uh, phone distorts your image of your nose. It makes it look like 30% bigger. I think there was a study about that. Um, and so it's, there's a lot more demand. It's true. <laughs> there's a lot more demand. So there, you, you know, as a surgeon, you know, it's beautiful. So as a surgeon, <laughs> you have to be able to um, vet the patient and see who really needs it and who maybe doesn't need it. Be honest and have integrity and say, you know, you maybe don't need the surgery. Yeah, it's so much more uh, socially acceptable now. Like it's not nobody says anything negative on comments anymore if someone is showing a before yeah. and after picture of their surgery yeah absolutely and i think it's quite the double-edged sword because it's great that it's acceptable now and people don't have to be ashamed of all the work that they're getting done but with social media and all the selfies, you're so much more aware of what you look like and you get conscious and you start comparing yourself with everybody else on the internet who are using Facetune or who have spent thousands of dollars on facial plastic surgery and who have yeah. means. So it's, it's kind of, um, there's a lot of pros and cons to social media being prevalent right now. Exactly. And the good thing is that Instagram has actually put in some new rules that uh, prevent the sensationalization of plastic surgery or the incentivization of plastic surgery. And uh, for example, if you're going to be using before and after pictures, they have to be standardized pictures and not, you know, not face tuned or photoshopped. So it's, they have cracked down on a lot of the, um, of those, you know, things that make plastic surgery not so positive. 
You mentioned TikTok, Dr. Zachary. Are you on TikTok then? Are we going to be seeing uh, you and dance challenges? No. <laughs> Are you kidding? I haven't even mastered Instagram yet. So no, <laughs> I will not be on TikTok. <laughs> Let's talk about trends today. What are the trends today? For example, the big Kylie Jenner lips was huge in more ways than one a couple of years ago when she introduced that. You also can tell, at least I can tell, if somebody has had a nose job in the 90s. So super duper duper small, like pinched Absolutely. and like turned up. Absolutely. That was like the style back then. So what are the yeah. trends today? Okay, so uh, number one, of course, the non-invasive procedures are, are so popular and they've gained popularity. I think they've increased in popularity by more than 200% since they were introduced several years ago. So, so we're talking, you know, uh, neuromodulators, things like Botox that, um, and uh, Dysport and things like that, that reduce muscle activity and so reduce wrinkling. Um, and then also fillers, fillers anywhere, fillers in the lips and the cheeks and the jawline. I mean, now jawline filler is very popular um, to have that nice angled jaw. Um, so the non-surgical things are, are exploding, especially among the younger demographic um, people in their between 25 to 45. Uh, and then from the surgical side, natural. Natural look is all in right now. So natural looking noses, natural looking faces that don't look like super stretched and pulled. And the techniques have also evolved. So less invasive techniques that still get the result that you want, but with less dissection, separation of the skin from the underlying structures, um, which leads to less downtime, less bruising, less swelling, and more predictable results. Okay. Speaking of fillers, um, mm -hmm. I always tell people that my uh, anti-aging hack is to always have a nice layer of fat on you. You know, don't get too, too, too skinny. <laughs> then I you agree. don't need fillers. Then you I totally years. agree with that. <laughs> I totally agree with that. I agree. I tell all of my patients, like, if you're over 40, start eating fatty foods. Because you have that in your face. You don't want to look all skinny and because then you're going to come spend money and, and put fillers in your face. Um, but fillers have to be done, you know, properly and have to be done by people who know the anatomy because the face has a lot of blood vessels that if they're blocked by filler um, by an amateur who doesn't, you know, really know the anatomy, um, because anybody can put filler on the face, right? But not everybody knows the anatomy of the face and can avoid the dangerous structures that needs to be avoided. So you can end up with like serious complications. You can end up with skin death. Skin literally turns black and dies and falls off. You can end up, and that could be anywhere. It could be in the nose and the face. It could be, you know, like the non-surgical rhinoplasties are so popular right now, but I don't do them and I don't do them. I do them very, very rarely, let's put it that way. Um, because there's a big risk of skin necrosis, skin death, blindness that could travel it through the um the artery that goes to the back of the eye and cause permanent blindness and that's like i know it's not a very big risk it's it's a very small percentage but if you have it it's permanent like is it worth going blind you know to have a procedure to have a cosmetic procedure done i don't think so so it's not a non you know invasive procedure it is it's minimally invasive but it still has risks and you need to know you know, who to go to to get the best result. And don't go for the cheapest person. You don't want to start saving money on your face. I was just going to ask that because I've seen so many attractive prices like overseas. I think a lot of people look into medical uh, tourism. So basically, mm -hmm. 
is are those all the reasons why you should have your procedures done locally instead of abroad okay certainly there are good surgeons abroad and there are board certified surgeons abroad and skilled and trained surgeons abroad but the problem is you don't know how to vet them you don't you haven't seen them in person you haven't seen their befores and afters and um you haven't seen you know other patients who are coming in and out of the office right so you don't know how to vet the surgeons who are abroad the other thing is if you travel abroad to have a procedure got to be ready that you're probably not going to have the follow up that you need to have so if anything goes wrong who's going to take care of you it's very unlikely that a surgeon that has not done your surgery is going to want to fix a complication from somebody else's procedure so th those are two main things that i you know i'm concerned about about um medical tourism the other things are you can't really be sure of the accreditation of the facility that the procedure is being done at the cleanliness and the sanitization um, you could catch an infection that could totally destroy your results so there are many things to consider before going abroad to have a cheaper surgery certainly the price may be cheaper but what are you paying in exchange for that price like you pay for it somehow you're not just going to pay for the price and that's not to say that medical tourism is poo poo yucky like you shouldn't do it i mean there there are some there are some centers that are very well you know, um, sanitized and well accredited and good surgeons. So you just have to know how to vet them and find them. I know they have a lot of procedures in South Korea for the eyelid surgery. And I used to judge so hard on like the kids who are getting the eyelid surgery for their 16th birthday, for their graduation. But you know what? We get braces here in North America and it's just yeah. the norm. And mostly it's cosmetic. So I really, yeah. yeah, I've changed my view on that. You know, people are getting braces when they're 16, like myself. I mean, <laughs> eyelid surgery, that's like super similar. It's a little more invasive, but it's it's super similar, just different kind of culture, right? It's actually not that more, much more invasive. And by the way, you look amazing. <laughs> Very pretty. <Thank> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that it's important not to judge because everybody has a sense of self that they want to portray. And if that means getting an eyelid surgery to do it, so be it. If it means getting a nose job to do it, so be it. If it means getting a breast augmentation, so be it. Like, you know, everybody has their own life and the way they want to express themselves. And if they want to do it, why not? If it's not hindering or troubling anybody else. Speaking of eyelid surgery, before I met you, I booked it with another doctor in South Calgary uh, to do my eyelid surgery in August. So, Did you, so you're having it done? Yeah, because um, I just have like ex a little bit of excess skin and all yeah. of the older women in my family, when they get into their 60s, it just is like hanging over their eyes. So I just want to prevent that. You're going to like it. It's It just opens up your eyes and the eyes are the windows to the soul. Yeah, I'll show you guys all a before and after. This is before. Yeah, send, send, send a before and after. Already gorgeous, but you'll be more gorgeous. Thanks. So, Dr. we have a lot of <laughs> questions for you from our audience. Are you ready? I'm ready. First one is when you start doing something like Botox or fillers, what happens if you choose to stop? Presumably, presumably the effects you were seeking go away, but are there other effects clients should be aware of? Um, so the answer, the short answer is no, there's not, no other effects that you really need to be worried about. Um, some people are worried that if they get fillers and then they stop that their skin is going to be stretched out more wrinkly and the answer is no, that doesn't happen. It just ages as it normally would age without those procedures having been done. So you'll start to notice your wrinkles coming as 
you know, they would have come anyways. So if you decide you want to stop, no harm, no foul, you'll just continue to age as you normally would have without the procedure. Okay, and then I have some friends uh, in their late 20s that get Botox and they say it's for preventative measures. So what age should you start with Botox and filler? And I've heard that you shouldn't wait too long because people won't notice the transition as much. So neuromodulators uh, like Botox reduce muscle activity by 50% or more, okay? So it reduces how much you can move the muscle and crunch the skin on top of the muscle and wrinkle it. So it is a preventative measure because if you don't create the wrinkle in the first place, it's not gonna become stuck on your face because if you don't do any of those procedures, you'll continue to crunch the skin on top of the face and the wrinkle will become permanent instead of become temporary. So you need to do it before it becomes a permanent wrinkle. And that tends to happen in the, um, in the 40s. So if you wanted to start, you know, neuromodulator injections as early as late 20s, I think that's a good idea because once you have a wrinkle, it's very difficult to get rid of it. We can soften it, uh, but we can never get rid of a wrinkle. Okay. That's good to know. And Lindy, you have a forehead scar. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> what can be done with that, Dr. Zachary, some sort well, of a similar, similar, similar to wrinkles, scars can never be completely removed or, or um, eliminated, but we can work on them. There are different options for, um, for scars. So laser treatments, microneedling treatments, which create little like holes in the skin and then you make new collagen production. So a series of treatments of those might be helpful. Uh, worst case scenario, scar revision surgery, which we take uh, scar, cut it out, and then sew it up in a way that it's less noticeable um, when it heals. So you have to go through a period after scar vision that it looks worse before it gets better. But um, the whole goal of scar vision is to replace an existing scar with a better looking scar or a better oriented scar. Uh, and so those are many different options for scar revision. Um, or scar management. And then finally, I mean, don't discount, discount cosmetics. I mean, if worst comes to worst and, you know, there's no good um, medical option, then camouflage with cosmetics is also a good one. Okay, thanks. I've seen the before and after um, Asian cosmetic extreme makeup challenges where they actually put like putty on their nose so that they have yeah. like a bridge. Have you seen that? Yeah, and they're taking it. it off. Oh, yeah. So you can put some putty on that. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah, why not? Maybe I will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then they put a tape on their chin and they tape it up like this. Oh, yeah. And they look all like facelifted. It looks really cool. Yeah, and they take it off and they look like a completely different person. I feel like in Asia, like in China, Korea, um, Thailand, they're way advanced compared to us in terms of non surgical and even sometimes in surgical procedures for face. Cool. Um, okay, so moving into retinol cream. Is that a good natural anti-aging regimen? And what are the effects and what's a good brand of retinol cream? Okay, so um, retinol is, um, is a chemical that um, encourages three things in the skin. It encourages new skin cell formation and skin and old skin cell like shedding. So it's called skin cell turnover. So you always have a new layer of fresh skin on your face. It encourages collagen production. 
So that reduces wrinkles and lines. And it also encourages the production of hyaluronic acid in your face. So hyaluronic acid is a sugar that attracts water molecules to itself. It can hold up to a thousand times its own weight in water. And so when you have hyaluronic acid in your face naturally, then it or, or by injection, it attracts water to your face and makes you look glowy and well hydrated. So retinol is an excellent um, part of an anti-aging skin regimen. And the other um, couple of things that I always recommend are a skin lightener if you have any dark spots. Um, and it's not literally a bleach, but it will reduce the color um, making cell from making color. Um, and we call that hydroquinone. And there's many non-hydroquinone skin lighteners uh, that are available. And then of course, of course, sunscreen. Because the sun is the single most preventable um, cause of skin aging and skin damage. So if you can put a sunscreen on your face every day um, and make sure that you have ultraviolet A and B protection, then you can effectively um, have very natural and nice anti-aging. Uh, what's a good brand? There are many different brands and you get them at the pharmacy, so you need a prescription for them. Um, but I prescribe, I just prescribe a, a generic one. I mean, it doesn't really matter, the brand. And they make your face um, peel a little bit? Because I remember I used one and got really dry and was peeling. Yes, so it does make you peel at the beginning, but you know what? That's a good thing because it's making you peel because it's getting rid of the old cells. Getting rid of the old dull cells. And what's underneath is new and fresh. So you want, the more you peel actually the better because it means that you're, you're making new fresh cells. So if you can get through that period of peeling, and it usually lasts about three, four weeks, if you can get through that period of peeling, the payoff is so good. Does it continue to peel or will you eventually no. get to the point? Yeah, you'll eventually get to the point where it stops. And you don't have to use it every single day. Like event, we, we all, I always tell my patients, try to use it as much as your skin will allow. And if your skin will allow you to use it every single day, like you're not getting red and peely too much, like a little bit of redness, a little bit of peeling, we accept. But if it's painful or like starting to bleed, obviously we don't want that. So, so as long as your skin will like tolerate it, do it. Um, and so eventually, and there's a myth that it that uh, that um, vitamin A cream or retinol cream makes your skin sun sensitive. It actually doesn't. It makes your skin thicker. So another myth is that it makes it thinner. Um, it makes your skin thicker and also it degrades in, in the sun. So it doesn't work as well in the sun. That's why we ask patients to use it at nighttime. I've totally heard that. Thanks for debunking that myth. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned hyaluronic acid, uh, but also injecting that. Is it just as effective using a hyaluronic acid topically on your face instead of injecting? Uh, it depends on the brand of the cream. Uh, because hyaluronic acid uh, doesn't um, penetrate through, there's, there's like connections between cells. And it doesn't really penetrate through those connections between cells unless it has a carrier. And so it depends on the cream and what kind of carrier it has. I have yet to find a cream with adequate, you know, uh, carrier um, concentration to get the hyaluronic acid into your skin. So we naturally make hyaluronic acid. We make it in our, in our face. And uh, most of the fillers that you've heard of um, Stilage, Restylane, um, Juvederm, uh, I can name a whole lot of fillers. They're made of hyaluronic acid. So if you can inject that, that's actually better than the creams because you're literally putting it under the skin where it belongs. 
So is it always better to get a prescription? Because the stuff that you can buy at drugstores obviously is weaker than the stuff you can prescribe. Because I bought a vitamin C ball, I looked at the back and it's only 15% vitamin C in it. So yeah. is it always just better to get a prescription? I think so, yes, because the um, prescription strength, or you don't have to get a prescription, but if you can get it from a doctor or a doctor's office, um, it's better than getting it um, as a cosmeceutical at the drugstore because, or like a, by a cosmeceutical, I mean those creams you can buy off the shelf. Um, and, and it's better because you are held to a certain standard. So cosmeceuticals are not held to the same standard of proving their effectiveness as medical grade creams and ingredients um, that you can find at a doctor's office. So we're held at a different standard. We actually have to have studies that show that the creams that say, do what they say they do, whereas cosmeceuticals at the drugstore don't have to have those studies. So they can make claims that aren't backed up by any science. So uh, that's why I think it's better to have um, a product that you can find in a doctor's office or a prescription strength product. Do yoga facial exercises actually help in improving sagging jowls and a crinkly neck? Okay, so I was a big skeptic of this. I was like, how's this gonna work? Because your face um, sags because there's a layer underneath the skin called the SMAS, which is the covering on top of the muscle. And if anybody eats meat, they will know the SMAS as the silver skin of meat. And so that's what sags um, along with the skin. And I was a big skeptic of these yoga facials, uh, but then I read studies that show that they actually do work. So I've been a convert. I think they do work. Now that I'm in my 40s, I'm just literally trying anything and everything to prevent sagging. So <laughs> any of those things are they're non-invasive and they're not they're harmless. So why not? I'm gonna try oh, some picture-taking selfie hacks. I hear too. Um, Extend your head a little bit forward so your yeah, neck they, looks skinnier. You see that? They call it the turtle. They call it. <laughs> and also, and down. put, put the, the, your tongue at the roof of your mouth when you're smiling so it lifts up underneath your Yes. And lifts Bravo. Up your neck. You've heard Bravo of them, of course. I've heard of them. I do them. This is invaluable information we're sharing here today. <laughs> so much value. Yeah. So for lazy people like me who like to just drink stuff that helps, is what's your opinion on collagen supplements and stuff like bone broth? Mm, I'm iffy on those. I'm iffy on those because, um, okay, so I have had, I have a history of, of, I had breast cancer. And so all of my research now that I do is about anti-cancer and how to prevent cancer and so on. And so um, one of the ways that cancers metastasize, meaning go from the original spot to other places like bones and brain and lungs and things like that, is they have to have a matrix, like a, like a bridge, and collagen helps to make that bridge. So I'm not a big fan of collagen supplements. I know they're very big on the market. Um, they're very popular right now for anti-aging. Um, but I don't think you can eat your collagen either. I think you have to make it. So I'm gonna ex-nay the um, collagen supplements. Okay, also with collagen, I've heard that if you ingest another animal collagen, you just kind of digest it. You don't really, yeah. your body doesn't take up a lot of it, but things like BioSil help your body naturally produce your own collagen. 
Yeah, there are things that make your body make your own collagen. Things like um, zinc and vitamin C together. And it's better to take it in food form rather than in uh, pill form. So eat like a vitamin C rich foods and zinc rich foods. Um, and that helps to make collagen. Vitamin A creams actually help you make collagen. So, so retinols are very good to put on your face. Um, so there are, there are different uh, things that you can ingest to help you to make collagen, but I don't think that ingesting collagen is um, helpful. I don't think it's helpful, and I think it could be even harmful for people who have either a gene that predisposes them to get cancer or who have had cancer. And can by the way, cancer is very prevalent in our, um, in our society now. I mean, one in, what is it, one in four women will get breast cancer? So, I mean, I think we have to always be mindful of what's healthy and um, do our due diligence and research before you ingest anything. And thank God you're healthy, Dr. Zachary. Thank God. Amen. And what's a vitamin C and what's a zinc-rich food that we okay, should so be Okay, so vitamin C-rich foods are um, things that are citrus, for example. So um, lemons, oranges, um, even um, non-citrus like strawberries, um, any berry is good because it also has um, antioxidants in them, which are like they go and they scavenge the uh, free radicals which are oxygen molecules that are like doing damage to your face and to your body. So, okay, I digress. Uh, so those are vitamin C rich foods and then zinc rich foods are things like leafy greens, kale, broccoli, things like that. I have to research a little bit more about it, but I think that's what that is. Yeah, I've seen on social media people that are raw vegans that consume a whole bunch of vegetables. Yeah. They have like a, a glow to their face. So just eating oh, healthy, yeah. I guess, helps you glow. I'm a raw vegan. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. After my diagnosis, I changed my diet completely. So I, I'm not 100% raw. Like sometimes I'll eat cooked food, but whatever. But I eat vegan diets and low sugar. And um, Lindy, exactly what you said. After I started doing that, I started getting so many compliments on my skin and I started noticing my skin was so much more healthy and glowy and I used to have a really bad acne problem and I haven't had literally not one pimple since I started this diet two years ago. Um, I think that diet has a lot to do with how we look because if you think about it, it's true, we are what we eat. So if you put in healthy stuff, you're gonna get out healthy stuff. If you put in garbage, you're not going to get so healthy stuff coming out either. There's some really, because I've been trying to do raw vegan for the past week, and there's actually an alternate recipe for pretty much any uh, food you can think yeah. of. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, it's so easy, too. I mean, like carrots and hummus, you know what I mean? Or like salad. Or, you know, it's so easy. Like there's hardly any prep involved. So, uh, and, and also what I really like is that it's become way more trendy now to eat plant-based. So practically every restaurant in Calgary that you want to go to has an option. Um, not necessarily raw, but vegan for sure. So we have a question, a bunch of questions about facelifts. Yes. How long is a full facelift operation? how long is the recovery time for a facelift and or an eye lift only and can one go home right after or does one have to stay in the hospital for either a facelift or an eye lift okay 
So for both, they're both day surgeries, so you can go home the same day. Um, and in the age of COVID, we want you to self-isolate for two weeks before and two weeks after surgery so that you can reduce your risk of transmission of COVID during your healing time, um, which can lead to like big complications. So that's the COVID bit that I'm going to say. How long is the surgery? Usually between four and a half to five hours for a facelift and, um, and about an hour, hour and a half for an eyelid lift by itself. Um, you can go home the same day. The recovery time for facelift is between, look, I'm going to say three weeks because there's a lot of surgeons who advertise, oh, you're going to be okay in two weeks and go back to it. I really don't think that's true. Uh, I think that they may be um, under reporting how long it takes to recover. Um, for an eyelid lift, about between two and three weeks, two weeks before you look socially acceptable and three weeks before you're looking pretty decent. Good to know. Okay, and yeah, the recovery on that would be crazy, I think, just because it's so invasive, but the results, I think, are day and night, right? Oh, the results are amazing. So, I mean, you get, you do minimally invasive, you get minimally invasive results, right? So, if you do, like, a true facelift, and you're really, like, tightening all the muscles and taking off all the excess skin, yes, you're going to have a little bit of a longer recovery, but guess what? Your result is going to be dramatic, and it's going to be lasting, so we always say that we um, put the clock back about eight to 10 years. So you continue to age as normal, but you'll always look eight to 10 years younger than your true age. Um, so yeah, the payoff is worth it, in my opinion. What's the average age range for a facelift? It really depends. So I do a little, little facelift in the office called a micro mini facelift, which is literally just a lift. Like if somebody has like a little bit of a loose jaw, jaw jawline or a little bit of neck, looseness and the average age range for that is anywhere between 45 and 55 and then for a um, operation facelift in the operating room we're looking more around anywhere between 50 depending on how loose the tissues are to you know my oldest patient was in her 80s wow God bless her she wanted to look good and why not and our final question of course a very important question, Dr. Zachary, where can we all find you online to learn more? Yay! Okay, you can find me on my website, which is facialcosmeticsurgery.ca. Um, also on Instagram at, at Dr. Facial Plastics, so at DR Facial Plastics. And I'm also on Facebook, but the best way to reach me is definitely if you call my office at 403 Four five zero three seven five nine, and we're very very into getting back to you as soon as possible great so that is our show for today everybody thank you all for tuning in to prosecco party podcast and thank you dr zachary for being on our show and for giving us so much value today thank you for having me it was so much fun you guys are so fun Ah, oh, thanks. Make sure to check out Dr. Zachary online at facialcosmeticsurgery.ca and on Instagram at Dr. Facial Plastics. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Prosecco Party Podcast and follow us personally on Instagram, Lindy at miss.healthnut, Isabel at Isabel Valoria. Please do us a favor and subscribe, rate, and review our show wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time. And remember, life is short, so join the party. Cheers. Woo